0: This is Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS. Hi all, it's Alice and welcome to Weekly Woman. The Olympics start this week. Who has been waiting for this day for the past five years? And let's be real, there are so many mixed emotions about the Olympics happening this year. 80% of polled Japanese don't want it to happen and yet it's plowing along anyway. Japan's COVID isn't looking good, it's been hard for all the athletes from all over the world to get vaccinated, and some of the athletes had to drop out of training after years of dedication to this one date in the future. If you want to hear more about this, check out our episode with Sammy Barlow, world-class kayaker, who decided she couldn't continue to dedicate her life to an Olympics that maybe wouldn't happen. But also, I can't even imagine the joy of all the athletes who've made it who took on insurmountable odds of pushing forward, training their bodies to be the best in the world, and even overcame a global pandemic. The Olympics always make me teary-eyed just from looking at those athletes' faces who made it, who worked so hard, and their dreams came true. So I just want to get in some amazing Olympic facts before our return of Lena Taylor's episode, the two-time beach volleyball Olympian who I'm low-key obsessed with. I mean, what a queen! Two Olympics! What? What? (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the history of these games. The first Olympic Games took place in the 8th century BC in Olympia, Greece. They were also held every four years for 12 centuries. Then in the 4th century CE, all pagan festivals were banned by Emperor Theodosius I, and the Olympics finally puttered out. But just think 12 centuries! Our modern Olympics can't hold a candle to that! And interestingly enough, the games actually lasted 5-6 to months back then, and the men competed completely in the nude. The modern Olympics that we know today was resurrected about 1,500 years later. This athletic tradition of the Olympics was held in 1896 in Greece, where the first marathon was actually run. In 1900, women were allowed to start competing in the games, but it wasn't until 2012 London Games that all competing countries sent female athletes. What? Yeah, that's crazy. And the Olympics haven't always been about sports. Between 1912 and 1948, artists actually participated in the games. Sculptors, musicians, architects, and painters would win medals for being the best in their fields. There are also other eliminated sports, including tug-of-war, rope climbing, hot air ballooning, dueling pistol, solo synchronized swimming, which I don't even know how you would do that solo, Tandem bicycling, and even live pigeon shooting, which happened only once in the 1900 Paris Olympics, thank God. There is so much history to this sporting event, I can't wait to watch, especially all of the volleyball. And if you love this podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and review us on iTunes. It really does help. We'll be right back. First, we have to give it up for our sponsor, Jubilance for PMS, the only supplement on the market to help relieve your emotional PMS symptoms. This supplement is produced by a woman run company and is the only clinically tried supplement on the market for the emotional side of PMS. Just think if you could stop all the stressing and those anxieties that accompany PMS. It's totally possible with a supplement you take once a day. Learn more if Jubilance is right for you at Jubilance.com. Lena Taylor is a two-time beach volleyball Olympian, real estate business owner, mentor to elite athletes, co-founder of a college football award, wife of a Super Bowl champion, and mother of three. She has a full life of reinventions, and that didn't happen by accident. She grew up in communist Bulgaria, and at 17 came to the U.S. to further her education. Unsatisfied with her first job, she followed her passion, learned to play beach volleyball, all while working three jobs, and she qualified for the Olympics in two years. She's now a career coach, and we're so excited to get to talk to you today.
1: Thank you, Alice, super happy to be here.
0: Thank you so much for being on. (laughs) Okay, so I just have some fun questions to start. Favorite football team?
1: Favorite football team. And we're talking American football, not... Yes. European <laughs> football, right? Okay, I wanted to clarify that. So favorite football team, it has to be the Green Bay Packers. Um, so my husband played for the Packers, but I didn't know him then. But it was interesting because when I graduated from college, so that's 1996, I moved to San Diego and I started watching. That was my first time following um, the NFL. And I just remember falling in love with the Packers. They had a great start to the year and then went on to win the Super Bowl. Unbeknownst to me, my husband was on that team.
0: What? That's so crazy. That's just
1: perfect. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Favorite Bulgarian food? It has to be this thing called banica. And it's basically like phyllo dough filled with uh, feta cheese and egg, kind of a mixture. Um, and then you bake it, and it's so delicious. My grandmother used to make it from scratch, and that's the best way to do it. But I cheat and buy the phyllo dough from. Okay, that's great.
0: <laughs> that sounds so good. I want to try it. I'm all right. Okay,
1: what's your favorite food
0: in the US now?
1: Oh, the US. Oh, it has to be a good cheeseburger, right? I mean, I just can't resist a good cheeseburger. I don't think anyone can. <laughs> okay, beach or indoor volleyball? Oh, gosh, I have to say beach. You know, that's my, uh, it's what I fell in love with. Um I love playing indoor volleyball too. It was a lot of fun. I know your sister plays and I was actually a coach for a long time. It's a very dynamic, very intelligent sport. There's a lot that happens very quickly. Beach volleyball is just so physical. You know, you have to be so physically strong, mentally strong. We don't have coaches on the court when we're playing beach volleyball. So you really have to see the game from many different perspectives. And I love that kind of complexity.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Um, And can you talk about being in San Diego? What's your favorite part of the city? I know there's beach volleyball like everywhere
1: um, around Beach Beach. It's unbelievable. It's one of those cities where you can just look in 360 in any direction and fall in love with it, with the mountains. With, we have a, a ton of valleys between different mountain regions. And then, of course, you look to the west, you see the ocean. I fell in love with San Diego when I came to visit. Um, in my junior year in college, there was a tryout for at the time for like a force uh, beach volleyball league. I don't know if you remember, there used to be like a four on four professional league only for a couple of years, yeah. And then um, I came to San Diego and I just fell in love with the city and I decided to move here as soon as I graduated. Oh my
0: gosh, that's amazing. Do you have a favorite restaurant here?
1: We do. My husband and I go to this place called Market. It's just down the street from us. And it's the best kind of New York quality. You live in New York, so you, yeah. know, you know good food is good food. And um, in San Diego, there's a lot of good places. There are a lot of like holes in the walls, Mexican places where we just, you know, go and grab something fast. But this is like a dining experience with um, just top of the line food
0: market i'm gonna to have to try okay. it when I go home. you
1: have to try it it's by the polo fields
0: oh okay oh i like that area it's really yeah. there okay oh cool um and can you talk about starting your volleyball life when did you start
1: playing oh gosh okay so i was eight years old in third grade and uh, if i show you a picture i don't have a handy picture here but here's my class and here's me, you know? And I was just like head and shoulders above everybody. And so my dad, having been an athlete himself, he knew that, you know, I just have to start playing some kind of a sport. He was a rower. He didn't want me to be in rowing because it's just a tough, tough sport for girls, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, And he thought volleyball was just a very interesting game and very pretty. And so, When he signed me up for volleyball, I, for the first time in my life, I felt like, you know, um, you know, the the swan, the, the ugly duckling turns into a swan, right? It's like, all of a sudden I'm with all these girls that are all my height and we're just, you know, I found my crew. I found my little group that I felt like I belonged there. And that was the first feeling that I remember for volleyball. And then just falling in love with the game very quickly. Um, and then in Bulgaria, the way things were set up, you kind of had to pick what you're going to be very early on. So by the age of 11, by the time I was in fifth grade, I had to decide basically, oh, I want to be a professional athlete. So I needed to go to a special school where you would be selected you know, and be trained. And all of our schoolwork was arranged around our practices. And that's kind of unusual. You don't hear about it here. But But yeah, so by the time I was in sixth grade I was committed to this path of volleyball and school became kinda secondary even though, you know, we we still were required to do all the schoolwork.
0: Wow. So were you just training for the Olympics that whole time? Were you that's what I'm gonna do?
1: Well, you, you know, yeah, you have your childhood dream. I'm going to be in the Olympics. You know, you're just out there with with your friends playing and staying after practice, and and yeah, that's basically the path you have to take if you were to make it. So you start on this club team. You know, that the club had its own school with all the different sports, and then from there you could be selected to play on the junior national team, which I made the junior national team, and we qualified for. Uh, that's an interesting story. We qualified for the world championships. Um, And when I went there, it was in Portugal. That was the first time, you know, I left Bulgaria. But uh, when I went there, there was an official that came to our team and and said, you, pointing at me, are not allowed to play. You're disqualified. And it was because somebody in our federation had made a mistake on my birthday. So they basically, you know, had copied it wrong on the documents. Yeah and they didn't allow me to play and that oh. broke my heart you know i mean you put your heart and soul since i was 8 years old you know countless thousands thousands of hours and then you go at like the pinnacle you know i was probably 16 at the time and i can't even wear the uniform you know and that was just like one of the most important things it it broke my heart but also it opened another avenue in my mind that said I won't let myself be dependent on somebody else to make that kind of mistake ever again. So that helped solidify my decision when I was thinking about, you know, coming to the U.S., which meant, yes, I'll play volleyball in college, but I probably won't ever have a chance to go back and fulfill that Olympic dream, you know, I probably, they will never take me back to play on the national team. So it was like, it was a very, you know, a fork in the road for me. Uh But having had that experience of just being so dependent on somebody and then making a mistake and me not being able to do anything about it, um, really made my decision to, you know, take my own path, you know, go to the US, get my education, and then see what happens from there.
0: Wow, and why was that such a divergent path? Of you could either go to college in the U.S. or you could pursue the Olympics. Was um, why? Why did you think that was such a, a
1: ambivalent choice? Well, there was at the at the time, and I think even now, you know, once you left the system. So we're talking about a highly competitive, very selective system that they were training their athletes so once i left the system and went and played volleyball in college there i virtually ensured that there i had no way to go back and play uh for the national team and and you know at, at the time i just thought okay this is this is my choice and, and there were other things that happened too but basically it was my way of leaving bulgaria and establishing a life for me and my family to come to the U.S. And that became more important than just, you know, my childhood dream of playing in the Olympics. Now, little did I know that once I graduated and beach volleyball became an Olympic sport, that I would have another chance in this other sport to fulfill my dream. Yeah.
0: Can you talk a little bit about, you use the term the system. That's like a very communist term for like these this team system that's created, I guess. Um, Can you talk about growing up under the Iron Curtain and what that was like?
1: Well, that's the thing is that, you know, I started hearing it very early on from my family. It was was kind of a, a thing, like you didn't have a lot of opportunities to advance, no matter how talented you were in a certain area. So my mom was an engineer if you didn't belong to the party. So you basically had to be aligned ideologically with the ruling party at the time. And if you were not aligned with that, your opportunities were cut off very early on. There was a lot of favoritism. There was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of, you know, unspoken rules. Like, who do you know? And so it just became this place for me where I didn't feel that my life depended on my ability to make something of myself or, you know, how hard I worked at something. It was dependent upon these rules that would change constantly. And like I said, at first, I started hearing it from my parents where they would get passed over for a promotion repeatedly. And then, you know, they didn't see uh, light at the end of the tunnel. At the time, thankfully, I was still very young, but as I gave you the example of the, the volleyball team, you know, being on the national team, that still was not in my hands, you know, it it was in somebody else's hands to do that. And there was another very interesting situation where I was actually cut from the team um, before that. And I thought, you know, okay, that's the end of the world Be- just because we had a new coach that came in and she all of a sudden decided that she doesn't want me on the team. That was another turning point for me where you know, I went home and I thought, you know, all my dreams are ruined. And and like, I thought it was death, like I wasn't going to wake up the next morning. Well, lo and behold, I woke up the next morning and I decided, you know, if I'm awake, there has to be a different way. And I'm going to go to my practice. So if the coach will want to cut me and, you know, humiliate me in front of everybody, like she'll have to do it directly in my face. I'm not just going to accept that somebody would tell me, you know, you're off the team, like, basically, you're just Delegated to some other thing. So, those were the kind of freedoms that were not in our own hands at that time, and that I felt that uh, the US provided that opportunity. I felt that here I had the opportunity to do something based on my ability and be rewarded for it.
0: And what were the biggest changes that you saw when you came to the U.S. Uh, versus growing up in Bulgaria? What was like the first thing that you noticed?
1: <laughs> my sister gives a very funny example, too, because, um, you know, she followed in my footsteps and came to um, to school in the U.S. three years after me. But But she reminded me of that. She said, you know, it was just so overwhelming going to a store. You just needed to buy toothpaste. Well, in Bulgaria, when you go to a store to buy toothpaste, there was like, one tube that said toothpaste now there's like 50 different choices all saying different things and you're going i just want to buy toothpaste (laughs) so that was one of the first things you know just the abundance of things that were available to us um the abundance of information um i think you know accessing information was very easy obviously the internet was coming online at, at that time too and And just, I just felt that personally, there was a path for me, depending on how hard I worked, that I could realize different things. You know, my sister just recently got her PhD in astrophysics. Wow. You know, it's just like (laughs) these things that you can think of. You can, in your own mind, you can think of it. And then you can achieve it. You're not depending on somebody else's opinion or uh, having to do a favor for someone so that you can be given an opportunity. You know, that is just, and we don't realize this today, how much opportunities I think we have in a place like the U.S. And that's not available to everybody around the world. Wow. And can you talk a little
0: bit about your sister as well? Because you guys were beach partners, like, But it's just so cool. How did you guys become partners and end up going to the Olympics?
1: Well, that was the thing. You know, so 1996, I graduate from college. Uh, The year before, I had uh, sort of helped my sister get a scholarship to University of San Diego. And she was playing for them. She was doing amazing. She's a really great player. And um, I'm watching the Olympics in Atlanta, and I see beach volleyball. And at the time, I was living at Mission Beach, you know, just like steps away from the and it was a weekend warrior, you know, go out there and play on the weekends. And one of my friends, you know, haha, maybe you can qualify and play in the Olympics. And, and I go, haha, that would be funny, wouldn't it? But then something of that comment just kind of stuck with me at the time. And I go, you know, I started remembering those, you know, things that I had forgotten and kind of put away out of my mind. And I, Oh, well, what if, you know, it's like, what if what if and so I started thinking about it playing a little bit more seriously even though I was working full-time and then in 1998 you know I said to my sister well basically I had to find another Bulgarian right and I'm like hey (laughs) Bulgarian you're coming out with me (laughs) so she hated it at first because you know you've played indoor volleyball or you know your sister did but like making the transition on the beach is very challenging you get because you don't jump the same, nothing is the same, the wind is blowing the ball everywhere, and the sun is in your eyes, and there's sand, and so my sister hated it at first, but then I took her to, in 1997, in Los Angeles, they had the world championships, and she could see for herself, you know, the best players and how they play, and I think that's when she got the bug inside of her too, so basically both of us got the bug, we knew very little, we didn't have a lot of money, I was working full-time, and um, she was still in college, And so we were only able to play in three tournaments that first year and in only four tournaments in 1999. So when we started the year 2000, you know, we had made it to something like number 73 in the world. And if we wanted to play in the Olympics, we had to jump 50 other teams and to number 23 in the world. And we had two months to do it, like two months worth of tournaments to do that and it just seemed pretty impossible i have to be honest with you we sat down and i asked my sister you know why do you think that we would get to qualify for the olympics ahead of these 50 other teams that are better trained better funded have played longer have much more experience and she looked at me and she said i have no idea and, <laughs> and that's when i said okay i just need to put my head down And I discovered this is one of the things that, you know, I I say in my coaching, but it was a huge lesson for me of how you approach a task that's so impossible, that seemed so out of this world. Um, How do you do it? That's a time when you don't look at the big picture. That's a time when you have to focus on something very specific that's right in front of you. And I learned that I said, I'm not going to look at the rankings from here on out because that will distract me, will actually discourage me because if you look at the score, there's nothing you can do about the score. You cannot go over and flip the score. I can't physically go in and move our ranking higher. So what can I do? What is in my control? And that was when I learned that lesson is you put your head down and you do the next indicated step. So the bigger the task, the smaller your focus needs to be. Wow. And so you guys, you guys we made it. And it was it was in dramatic fashion at the last tournament, the last game, a team that we had never beaten before. Um, and I have to tell you, another thing is, you know, I went to bed the night before and I said, how are we going to beat this team? And I had a dream about it. You know, I, I had a dream about a strategy that oh. we would use in the game. And in the morning, I told my sister, this is what we have to do. Wow! Gratefully, she was a great listener and just you know bought into the plan, and that's what we did, and it's what happened. It's just, it's like one of those things. I think it wasn't so much of a dream, then it was like your deep intuition about things that you can tap into those resources that are available to us, but we very rarely access. You know, it's usually when you're faced with some dire situation that you really tap into all the possibilities that are available within you only if you asked the right question only if you were in the spot where you could receive that kind of guidance you know it wasn't like a crazy dream you know somebody was telling me no it was my intuition it was my knowledge putting together all these things my subconscious mind speaking to me without the distractions of what your conscious mind can tell you a lot of times your conscious mind can tell you there's no way you can go from number 73 to number 23 in two months your conscious mind has all these excuses and different things that will tell you, you know, that's not possible. I've never beaten them before. How am I going to do it? But your subconscious mind is the place of possibility is where you tap into for those resources. Wow.
0: that's amazing. <laughs> It's so cool that you got to do it with your sister
1: and really you went fun. to
0: Sydney and you went to Athens with her. Um, Can you talk about just, like, walking in those opening ceremonies? What was that like?
1: Oh, that was one, you know, one of my favorite moments. It's really overwhelming, you know, to be in a place of 100,000 people, you know, are in the stadium, and you see all the cameras from all over the world. I mean, you really feel like it's it's really special you know it's hard to explain but you just you feel like you're walking on clouds right it's just that emotion of that energy that's created there and then playing playing was really fun too because you know the audience is right there everybody's just super involved I have a great video I don't know if I can find it I can share on my screen it was really special having our parents there too oh that's wonderful and are your parents in San Diego now too They are in San Diego. This is a, this is a nice little treat. Okay, here we are. Can you see my screen? Yes. Okay, so this is a a very short video. These are um, our parents in the stands in Athens.
0: That's amazing! (laughs) And they showed your parents! That's so wonderful! I love them waving the flags. I know, they, they looked like they were just lost out there, right? It was so much fun. They must yeah. have loved that. Like their two daughters in the Olympics. Like what's
1: um, better than that? <laughs> it was really special, I have to tell you. And it was the culmination of all these struggles that I told you about, you know, like just being trapped in that system, finding a way out in one of the most improbable ways. I haven't told you that story, but just and and then working so hard like being at the brink of you know having to work three jobs brink of bankruptcy just all these struggles and all and then overcoming all of that and just having you know the whole family it, it just meant a lot to me it, it really did
0: that's wonderful and so glad that like all of your family could come over too and just like right. sharing your version of the, what the united states is as well
1: yeah yeah, yeah, it really became the place of, you know, where you achieve your dreams.
0: So we've got to stop and talk about our sponsor, Gbilance for PMS. It's a daily supplement that helps you be you. Gbilance is an over-the-counter nutritional supplement shown in clinical trials to relieve the emotional symptoms of PMS. That means less stress, anxiety, and more of getting back to your life. You deserve to be your best self all month long. And thanks to modern science, PMS is now optional. It's the first and only product for emotional PMS backed by real science with double-blind, placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed studies. And it works. I work for Jubilance because I'm here to help women. And this is the real deal. Jubulance isn't just a product. It's a global mission to make PMS mood swings a thing of the past. The Jubilant Sisterhood is a movement of thousands of strong women escaping the PMS struggle with science, sharing, and communal support. We're here for you each week with stories of amazing women, your weekly playlist on Spotify, and for you to dish and cry about periods on our Facebook group. So why not give Jubilance a try? Go to www.jubilance.com to learn more. And you, you talk about that too in your bio and on your website, like about life's transitions and how you're constantly reinventing yourself. Um, can you talk about going from an Olympian
1: to now being a career coach? Well, yeah, that was a, an interesting transition to, you know, when a lot of times when you're an athlete, you don't always get to choose the way you end your career. Um, in fact, that's probably the norm. So um, it was a difficult transition for me um having to retire at the time where I wasn't necessarily I didn't feel ready to retire but due to injuries and other things Mm -hmm. um I think that that's one of the things that another lesson that I learned is that the way I say it is if you don't want regret you have to think ahead you know it's normally when we're at the height of some career or an experience we're not thinking necessarily about planning our next steps some people are and I think that's very smart I think that's when you think about your resources and maybe you start a database of people that you can be connected with so that's number one I would advise anybody that's um, not even thinking about transition but just keep track of all of your resources and your connections you know because you don't know how you may need that in the future Um, And then, you know, it took several years for me. I went back to graduate school and I got my dream job of what I thought at the time was, was to run Coast Volleyball Club where your sister Samantha was playing. Um, And I had a lot of fun with it. You know, it was just right up my alley. All of my volleyball expertise, but also just my organizational skills. I've always had a mind that could see a lot of different moving parts. I thought, you know, if I wasn't a volleyball player that in in you know, I didn't go to the Olympics, I would love to be, you know, one of those people that are directing traffic at the airports. It it just just seems like a fabulous job, like all these different moving pieces, very high stakes, right? Like, I love the pressure, I love the uh, having to perform under that kind of pressure, it's just exhilarating for me. So I have an operations mind, I, I can see, because I've had to do it for myself, but also I can see how different pieces it together to come with with a whole product, you know, from beginning to end. Um, and then I wanted to start a family too. So I met this guy whom I fell in love with, and he traveled with me my last year on tour. Um, and then it was just it was time to move on, but it wasn't necessarily easy. So we had kids right away, two boys. I mean, they just happened like one after the other. Um, that was unexpected. But you know, you you go with it, and I'm just so glad, right? It was it was amazing. And then when they started, when they got to the school age, I started thinking, like, it's fulfilling it, and it's wonderful to be a stay-at-home mom. I think you know, I'm very grateful for having that opportunity. But it was also challenging. Like, I'm talking about how my mind loves that complexity and the pressure, and so I found myself like competing with the washer and dryer, you know, <laughs> and know, going at one point, you know, this is not healthy. I need to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find another challenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's when I got involved with an organization um, called Victory at the, at the time, and it was putting together groups of professional athletes who were transitioning into business. At a peer mentoring group and it was phenomenal I went through the program learned a lot and then I became the what they call the chair for a group that I was leading um when we moved to New York with my husband, I got involved with another organization called Elevate, where I was mentoring young women professionals in business. You may have heard of it. Oh,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: I'm a part of it, actually. You you're a part, part, part of it. Yeah, you see, Elevate. It. I was I a was member of Elevate. I was a mentor there for, um, for a number of years. It was a lot of fun. And then I was also approached by the USLC, through all of those connections, is, mm-hmm. I was approached by the USLC to be a mentor for their um, athlete career and education program for you know trying to establish a life after sport Mm -hmm. um and all those things just kind of fell into place and now the most amazing opportunity came about through airbnb experiences it's something new that something um airbnb is an olympic sponsor so they partner with the olympic committee international olympic committee and they're bringing olympians to share their experience with anybody so it's amazing on their site and it's all online experiences so that's one of the ways that I'm that I'm coaching people from around the world you know I would never be able to probably advertise my services in Hong Kong or but you know through that platform through Airbnb people from Ireland Lithuania uh, England Hong Kong you know are just signing up and and it's It's very dynamic that is so cool (laughs) and since you have all of these reinventions what is next what's next on the horizon you know I try, um, you know, my mind can race ahead. So one of the things that I've learned is to really appreciate what I have right now. So after the two boys, when they went to school and I thought, oh, I'm just gonna you know, start my career. And I was going to all these business meetings and different things. Well, little then I, I got pregnant with our third, who is a little girl born in 2016. So she's about to turn four now. Um, so I have you know her at home I have the boys are 10 and 11 Um, I really want to what I've learned is to slow down you know yes I do have ambitions of doing this and that but I also want to enjoy what I have right now because that time with the kids is so fleeting right They're, I mean they're going to be out of school before I know it and so I really want to focus on that I also want to help Focus on having a challenge, so that I'm not competing with the washer and dryer. <laughs> uh, so contributing in some way, and so basically, little by little, creating a life of what you know—it's like a hodgepodge. But it's really like what my talents are, and in having the ability to do it on my own terms is tremendous.
0: That's amazing, Lena. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add to our listeners?
1: Oh, gosh, you know, I just feel really grateful for you guys. I listen to a lot of your um, podcasts, and I think it's phenomenal to have a place where you can hear things that are not talked about in the mainstream media, where people can be vulnerable, and we can learn from each other's experiences. I think that's, you know, if you feel connected, especially at this time of disconnection between people, and we don't have our girlfriends, you know, right next to us to help us and support us. So I think what you're doing is really inspiring.
0: Thank you so much, Lena, and thank you so much for being on today.
1: Thank you, so I appreciate
0: it. To get to hear more of
1: your story. Thank you, I appreciate it too.
0: Thanks so much for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Jubilant Sisterhood. To find out more, visit jubilance.com for more of weekly woman and female empowerment. See you later.